0: Our New Testament lesson is found in Acts chapter 2, reading once again this week from verses 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. For those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come into your presence and we come to be taught by you. We ask that you would lead us in your truth, that you would direct us to firm places to stand, wide places to walk, and that we would know the freedom of all that you have revealed to us through your Son. And so we ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. During my junior year at Furman University, I took an intriguing class inside of my major of political science. It was on the politics of sub-Saharan Africa. I was forced, coerced, you could say, to read several technical books about the subject. But then one of the most interesting things that my political science professor did for me was he assigned us to read a novel, a novel written by a Nigerian poet and novelist. His name was Chinua Achebe. And the book was entitled, Things Fall Apart. Things Fall Apart is a story about main character, Okonkwo, who was a man seeking to advance himself inside of the tribal system that he grew up in. He came from lowly and humble origins, and he wants to overcome those. And through a mixture of cunning acts and courageous activities, Okonkwo is making his way in the world However, his goal of rising to power was snatched away. It was snatched away by an accidental death, a seven-year exile from his tribe, and then his son's abandonment of the tribal ways. Okonkwo was utterly shamed, not simply in his own soul, but in front of his own people. And so in defeat and despair, Okonkwo hangs himself particularly disgraceful thing inside of Nigerian culture. And as I read that story in those early informative years, what became very clear is that this wasn't just a story about Nigerian experience. It's also the story of the world that you and I inhabit. See, despite our ambitions, despite our best efforts, Despite our vigorous and sometimes even righteous activities, our world is filled with thorns and thistles. Our world is filled with setbacks and sufferings. Our world is filled with troubles and trials. And we know well the truth of these words. Things fall apart. Death and decay is the order of the world that we live in. But it's precisely this world, this same world, filled with death and decay, this broken world, that God intervenes on. And this is what Peter declares in Acts chapter 2. A fairly short sermon by sermon standards, but long in terms of the text of Scripture. But running from verses 14 through 36, Peter announces that God has reversed all the brokenness. That God has reversed all the futility. That God has reversed all the shame and the sadness of our world. And he's done so through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That God is now effecting all of this. In the second chapter, or in the third chapter, in his second sermon, Peter then concludes with this very broad-reaching conclusion that God is now restoring all things that Jesus having been raised from the dead has ascended to heaven and we are now waiting on him in the time of his return when he comes for the restoring of everything and friends this is the redemption that God is working in Jesus it has implications for everything everything in heaven and everything on earth It is a cosmic renewal that includes your body and also the world that we presently inhabit. And so when these people, this crowd that was assembled here, listening to Peter preach, when they heard what God was doing in this intervention, what we learn is that they were cut to the heart They were stunned, and they were convicted. They were disturbed, and yet also strangely comforted. And then in verse 7, they venture a question. They ask the most important, the most significant, and also the most pressing question that any of us can ask upon hearing the news of the gospel. Brothers, what shall we do? It is the question that needs to occupy every one of us. And then also, we need to listen to the answer. The answer comes back to us in verse 38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What shall you do? Repent and be baptized. And so this morning, what we will take time to do is just explore two implications of the answer, implications for us about what it means to repent and to be baptized so that we too will know what to do as we ask the question in hearing the gospel. First, we are to renounce ourselves. Now we need to be honest, the word repentance is not particularly popular today. It disturbs us, and it's not so much because of the demands, the particular demands that may be involved, but I would suggest to you that the word repentance is not popular because of its threat, that it places a threat upon you and upon me. See when we're commanded to repent. It's not an exhortation to simply cease and desist from a few bad habits that you picked up along the way. No, the word repentance requires a reversal of direction. It's a change of course. It's the shifting of loyalty from one place to another. It was often used of armies that shifted loyalties from one general to another. It is a complete change of course but what exactly is the loyalty that we are asked to renounce what loyalty are we asked to turn from in verse 40 we learn something of this we're told there that Peter also told the crowds explained to them save yourselves from this crooked generation when we hear that word crooked We're immediately tempted to think of the people who are out there, people who are perhaps not in the church, people who don't share values and beliefs that we share. But we have to remember that Peter was preaching to the church as it existed in that day. He was preaching to the people of the covenant, the covenant community. And he was talking about them. Jesus had done the same in Luke 9 and 11, speaking about Israel and calling them crooked. It's important to explore that word just a touch more about exactly what does it mean to be crooked. It's an interesting word because it simply means to be bent or to be curved. It's to deviate from the standard. And certainly we can all agree that we're bent that we're curved and the way that we're bent and we're curved is specifically by our desire to be independent from god and this is the fundamental crookedness that shapes your life and my life it's the fundamental crookedness that shapes our world And of course that crookedness takes shape in all kinds of ways it gets expressed in ways religious and irreligious martin luther the german reformer explains that as sinful humans the curvature that our lives take is that we're curved in upon ourselves you see we are created by god to be dependent upon him as we live in his image and as we properly live as creatures of God we were designed to cling to him this is what Calvin explains that prior to sin this was God's intent that we would commune with him and participate in him in this sense of dependence but friends what's happened in our world is that we have rejected that outward orientation where we depend upon God and cling to him And rather, we've turned in upon ourselves. We've become crooked. We've collapsed in upon ourselves. And when we're called to repent, it is precisely this crookedness, this being turned in upon ourselves, we're being asked to renounce that. And it is a broad, very threatening thing. Because when we're called to renounce ourselves we're called to renounce many things we're called to renounce our own wisdom disowning our penchant to construct beliefs about God by pulling them from this religion or that philosophy we're being told that we're not free to do that to pick and choose to mix and match as we want but that we must submit to God's wisdom and the way that God has said that he has revealed himself When we're called to repentance, we're also called to renounce our values and our judgments, disowning our thoughts and our inclinations about what's morally right and wrong, about what's morally just and equitable. And we're called to submit to God's wisdom as revealed in Scripture. When we're called to repentance, we're called to renounce our own abilities. Yes, we're called to disown our prideful instinct— to be independent of God by earning our way back into his favor. We're told that by being good and socially just that we can't make things right with God and we have to disown that ability. And we're told that we also must renounce our desires. We have to disown those thoughts and affections that whisper in our ears telling us that there's freedom outside of God's commandments yes when we hear the message of the gospel we learn that God has overcome the disorder of our dying and decaying world and that means that we must renounce ourselves recognizing that we too are part of that disorder and the disorder begins in us by being turned in upon ourselves In all of our self-interest, in all of our own wisdom, in all of our values and our judgments, in all of our abilities and desires, we have collapsed in. And God is now calling us out of that. And so what shall you do? You turn away from all of this and participate in this liberating grace of God where he restores you to a proper orientation, to cling to him, to depend upon him, renouncing your independence. Second thing that we are to do, along with repentance, we are to enter into the community. The command is simple, be baptized. It's not quite that easy, because it's important to recognize that baptism served two functions serves two functions for us here in the church. And the first is this, is that in baptism, this marks our entrance into the church, into the community. And this is significant because it was the assumption of those in the first century that when they believed in Jesus, they were becoming part of a society, a community, a group of people. And there was this conviction that was very natural to them that it's become somewhat unnatural to us here in the 21st century you see what they believed was that a spiritual life was not conducted on your own in which it's just you and jesus and the two of you getting in touch with one another there was a conviction that a spiritual life was not conducted from your couch where you didn't have to deal with anybody else there was a conviction that a spiritual life was not conducted from just books and videos where you could absorb information no there was a core conviction that a proper and a healthy spiritual life a spiritual life that was brought to life through the death and resurrection of Jesus that this brought you into a community into a society of people humble and frail faltering and weak, a community of people who bring all of their burdens, who bring all of their garbage, all of their preferences, all of their fears, and they bring them together to the grace of God as they seek to live life together. And friends, one of the tragic mistakes is that due to all of the weakness of the church, many people lose a taste for it. They don't find it very savory. And so they want to do Jesus on their own terms. But we're being invited into something far more profound here, that we don't get to do Jesus on our own terms, that Jesus invites us into a community with his people where he has things for us, no matter how arduous or difficult it may be. The summer of 2008, Melissa and I had just moved to Arlington, Virginia, and it was our first 4th of July, and there is a large fireworks show that happens on the Washington Mall, and so that was across the river from where we lived, but we lived just behind the Pentagon, and there was a large hill there where the Air Force Monument is. You may have seen this if you visited the city, and from that hill, you could view the fireworks. In my own wisdom, I thought I had constructed a wonderful plan for my three year old son and my five year old son at the time. We would be able to get there very easily without entering into the crowds and watch the whole fireworks show and perhaps have the best view in the entire city. I was so proud of this plan. We got to the hill early, set up our picnic. Hours later, the fireworks show started about 9:15. It was an incredibly humid night. The first firework went up and we had a brilliant view. Explodes, the smoke then hangs. And we didn't see another firework. <laughs> Not one. You saw little flashes and glimmers of blue and green and some pink. And the cloud only grew more dense. The wind didn't move it off and we saw nothing. And friends, this is how many people end up doing Jesus. Looking in from the outside. And they think that it's just fine. It's going to work just fine. But really when we're not part of the community, when we're not joined to the people, that baptism brings us into that society that God has created for us yes we don't participate in the fireworks and sometimes it can be fairly spicy and explosive I know that quite well but it's also where the power is it's where the beauty is it's where God is working and so he invites you inside the cloud he wants you to move past it to be able to see all that there is to participate in it and so this is the first part of baptism is being brought into this community welcomed in entered in and now part of it but the second thing about this baptism is it also seals God's promise to us if you remember the connections that exist between the book of acts and the gospel of luke they were written by the same man volume one and volume two completing the story And so they're always connected and in Luke 3 Jesus goes out into the wilderness where John the Baptist is preaching and Jesus is baptized we are told there that the heavens opened and then these words were spoken you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased this baptism of Jesus was his consecration as a prophet as a priest And a king of Israel on behalf of the whole world it is that baptism that set him apart in human terms for the ministry that he would accomplish that would culminate in his death and in his resurrection and friends when we are baptized we are identified with this Jesus what is true of him by virtue of his death And by virtue of his resurrection, becomes true of you. And so then, in your baptism, it is that God speaks to you. And what God says to you are those very same words. You are my son. You are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. But of course, that good pleasure of God doesn't belong to you because of achievements and accolades that you have stacked up. No, it only belongs to you because you're in the Son, identified with Him. And then because you're in the Son, and because of the Son's accomplishment and achievement on your behalf, and going to the cross and suffering and dying for sins, and taking the burden that you could never alleviate yourself, that because of that... God then freely calls you his own. You are my child. Several years ago, I accidentally stumbled into sharing a lunch with a book editor at a major Christian publisher. I hadn't sought it out. and No, I wasn't publishing a book. We did get into an intriguing conversation, though. I asked him the question, so what's the key to a new book's success? He said, well, you might hope that it'd be the contents of the book. He said, but here's what we've learned, that the success of a new book is all about the endorsements on the back cover. Regardless of content, he said, people buy new books based on what other authors and theologians say about the book. He said, see, they're looking for something they can trust. And if they see a good endorsement on the back, they'll buy it. And friends this is the thing people buy books and people sell books on the reputations of others and this is what's true for you in front of God that there is an endorsement that's been placed over your life and the reason that God's affections and God's pleasures fall upon you the reason that he calls you his beloved that the reason he calls you son and daughter with whom he's well pleased It's because you've received the endorsement of the true son and you draft off of that. And this is what your baptism reminds you of. It seals this promise for you. And so it provides the deepest comfort and assurance that you are God's beloved child. And so what shall we do? What shall we do as we hear this message, this cosmic renewing message about how God is righting the wrongs of the world, the world that's gone so terribly wrong because of human rebellion? What shall we do? What do we do about our own wisdom and plans in which we turned against God and sought to be independent from him? What do we do? The answer is simple repent and be baptized and it's in renouncing ourselves in that initial decision and then in all the decisions and all the days that follow that following that way of reordering our lives a new loyalty being directed towards Jesus and being baptized not simply a one-time event not something that we just forget about But a constant sign so that each time we see it, each time we remember it, we are being told, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. This is what we shall do. This is what we are to do. And it is in experiencing these two motions that we find all of God's good favor and all of his pleasure in responding to what he's done. So let's pray for his help. Father, we do give thanks this morning for the beauty of the gospel and all of its promises and all it entails for us and what you are working in Jesus to intervene in our world. And God, we ask that you would continue to teach us And to guide us and to lead us is what it means to respond. To ask and answer the question, what shall we do? Teach us to renounce ourselves. To turn and continually to turn. To turn away from our own crookedness of being turned in upon ourselves. That we would seek after you and live in dependence. And God, teach us what it means to be part of the community the baptized, those set apart, and what it means to receive all the security of the seal that you've placed upon our lives. Help us to hear the words, you are my beloved child. We ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name we pray.